Hi guys, welcome to the Art of Acquisitions podcast. Here we discuss how you can create cash flow and grow your wealth with acquisitions. We have a great guest lineup, including Craig. Craig bought two businesses with 10 million in sales, no money down. And Alan, Alan has led multiple deals ranging in value from 1 million to 9 billion. Yes, that was right, 1 million to 9 billion. Art of Acquisitions, simply the fastest strategy to create cash flow and grow your wealth. Good afternoon, guys, and welcome. I'm doing a, a live expert to bring, uh, I've got a live expert interview today with the fabulous Dan Taylor of Taylor Capital. Now, for anyone who doesn't know Dan, Dan is an absolute master of commercial property. And I really wanted to share with you listeners um, a little bit about his story and what he's doing and, and a bit of knowledge, if you don't mind, Dan. Now, Dan's been in the industry for over 30 years. He has literally done tens of millions of pounds of property transactions and what he doesn't know about the commercial space really isn't worth knowing so thank you so much for joining me firstly Dan. Uh, it's always a pleasure Ellie um, to catch up with uh, like-minded people and I don't know if I'm the expert but I've, I've got a lot of experience and we've, we've created a lot of kind of good kind of, I don't know not too shabby deals I suppose and even though we've made a lot of money we've also lost a lot of money. And we've made yeah. a lot of money back um, a lot quicker and easier. But the, I suppose the thing that really lights me up is the not just buying deals, but adding value to deals and the yeah. various different ways where you can actually add value to deals. The creative side of it is really what excites me. I love structuring deals, carving deals up and all that kind of thing where you can add a hell of a lot of value without doing refurbs and construction. We do that as well. But I, I kind of like both sides of the equation where you can look at a deal, how can we strip it apart and how can we build it back up to add significant value? For me, at my age, different from your age, not so I can go and refinance and leverage the thing up to a high hawk so that it's safe and secure and de-risked. So commercial for me is a de-risking, it's, a, it's a, almost like a hedge. It's a hedge to protect the asset so it's safer going forward. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So you mentioned we've been in the sector 30 years, so quite a significant amount of time. But was it always a childhood dream of yours to get into property? How did it kind of come about? Yeah, well, mother and father were in business. And, um, you know, so business is all we knew. Um, you know, for me, that was normal. Never had a job. I don't want a job. Um, and nothing wrong with a job. Absolutely awesome. As long as you get in, you know, everyone's got to get into a lane. And that lane is something you actually enjoy doing because if you don't enjoy doing whatever you're doing, you know, there's going to become bumps and challenges along the way that's going to kick you off course. So I absolutely love this. It has been in my blood in terms of business, entrepreneurship, and, uh, you know, from whatever it was, I started off, you never guess my first deal. Oh, go first on. Deal, <laughs> first ever deal, not a commercial deal, a little bit commercial. First ever deal was a six foot by four foot donut kiosk on the west end of Edinburgh Princess Street, prime, prime location, <laughs> but it was a job. Uh, this thing kicked off cash, but it was a job. And um, yeah, very, very profitable, but 
you know, that was my first ever foray into the, the land of kind of business. It, it was six foot by four foot. And, you know, sometimes it was that busy. It was three of us in there. Lord knows how we fit in there. <laughs> but really, that was... It's really interesting, though, that you were brought up with the more entrepreneurial mindset because I do quite a lot of these interviews now. I love, I love just chatting with, with people that have got higher level of knowledge or, or high-performance high people. And um, that, that, that's the nature of my On A Mission podcast. But the majority of people have uh, been brought up with the conventional wisdom you know your rich dad poor dad you you go to yeah. school you get a job you go to uni etc whereas you've had um quite a different experience and the only other person that i can relate that to was gerald ratner he was very much brought up around the business right. talk and what have you uh, so were you kind of encouraged to to sort of think a little bit differently growing up well it's not differently it's just all we knew it's yeah just- it's just all you know. Uh, I mean, I didn't go to a school, never went to university. We went to a fancy school, a fancy school, um, and enjoyed that. Everywhere I've been, I've enjoyed it. I think it's your mindset. You know, whatever your outlook is in life, you're going to enjoy and do whatever you, you're going to do. And, you know, so from that growing up into business was normal, then you would you think you know you wouldn't even think about going into a job so i obviously naturally went into business first one was a six foot by four foot donut kiosk and after that <laughs> which is nuts <laughs> donut but anyway um after that i then went into a series of um learnings shall we say opened a restaurant, <laughs> opened a, a restaurant uh franchise restaurant pierre victoire uh failed miserably in sterling opened up the first ever, I was the, the, the first person that managed to talk Ray Kelvin, the owner of Ted Baker, into doing a franchise in Edinburgh. Ted Baker, Edinburgh, how could that fail? So I got on my bike, went down to London, talked him into this. He says, so we could crack a deal and uh, failed miserably. So I kind of went through these couple of learnings very early on that gained me a significant amount of experience. Um, but for some reason, you know, I just kept getting back up keep you know you just kept getting back up and went on and after that and after that kind of got into property and we were doing a little very small commercial to residential you know schemes i'm talking about one shot cutting it into you know turning in from a commercial into a flat selling it and i thought that was quite good that was quite easy so we then went into a pure commercial play and this our first deal was in Edinburgh, Home Street Toll Cross, just up from kind of Lothian Road and whatnot. And uh, it was tiny, 700 square foot. It's kind of like a two-bed flat. And yeah. uh, it was closed down. The, even the, the the electric was disconnected. Somebody done a midnight flip and left the whole place. Electric pulled the cables. And um, we did a search, or asked my solicitor to do a search. He did a search, found out that the standard security was by the Island Irish Bank. And I thought, Island Irish Bank, just down the road and... Uh, just off Princess Street, went down to see them, didn't know I couldn't do this, so just kind of knocked on the door, went in and asked for the manager. And I said, one of your properties, I don't know if you know, but the owner's done a midnight flip, the, the power's pulled, and you may or may not even know about this. There's no sign up, there's no nothing, the shutters are down. You know, why don't I take this problem away from you? Can we sit down and talk about a deal? He said, well, I don't know about this, why don't, you, why don't I phone you tomorrow? Two days later, I'm in the office, and we're cracking a deal with the Allied Irish Bank, like face-to-face. He's having a look at the screen, what debt he's got outstanding, stick some legal fees on top. Boom, we're buying it for 117000 100% founded by a bank, literally a few hundred yards down the road, the NatWest Bank. So literally, that was my first foray. Now, this is a distressed commercial property. We had to strip the whole thing out, 
So 117 was the purchase price. Got that all from the bank. But then we had to do the, the kind of round robin round of friends and family for the rest of the money to strip, kind of strip it out. Been there, been there. <laughs> strip, strip it out and completely redo it. Uh, and then we operated that as a business for two years. And at that point, I, you know, before we opened it, we went around the UK and uh, researched this industry. It was gaming industry, yeah, and created a product that we thought was pretty cool. We then uh, invested in our first ever mentor, a guy called Jay Abraham, a marketing legend in America. And uh, we paid him, now this is back in 95, 5,000 pounds. Five grand back then is like, I don't know, 20K now. And we give him that, which we were a little bit hesitant about, obviously. And uh, with the information that he gave to us, we grew that little 700 square feet into 197,000 pounds of profit in 700 square feet wow. on an annual basis, 200 how, grand of profit. How did you do you, it? You never believe it. And the, the biggest secret was direct mail. We were sending lumpy mail to old grannies. The, the average uh, customer was a 46-year-old female shopper, yeah? yeah? So we were sending lumpy mail, like, um, for example, an envelope with a Kit Kat inside and, uh, and then a long-form sales page. And it says, sit down, get a kettle on, take a break on us. Or a tea bag attached to the, the, the letter. Take, you know, stick the kettle and let me tell you a story. <laughs> All these grannies were coming, running into the shop to play the puggies because of... You know, this lumpy mail. I know, shut up, it's nuts. Uh, so they were coming in. The place was chock-a-block. And they didn't even read the letter. They're just so excited. They're coming. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm, I'm really excited. Tell me what I'm doing. What, what's free? What, what am I getting for free? <laughs> that kind of thing. It was absolutely chock -a. 200 grand a year profit was making. And we sold it. Now, we spent about 117 plus a refurb, 150. We sold it for 750 two years later. So we made 600K which is not too shabby for the first pure commercial play in 1995, uh, sold in 98, yeah? So that was our first real experience. And then after that, we thought, holy shit, if we can do this with one little box, imagine if we had 10, 20, 30 boxes. So we then um, kind of reached out and thought, who could help us do acquisitions? Mm -hmm. And then we reached out to another mentor, paid him 10 grand in 96, uh, which was a lot of money back then. Who was that? There was a guy called Dan Pena. And we oh, went, yeah. went up to his castle. Uh, he screams and bawls and shouts. He, he's like an old major kind of thing, uh, or more like a drill sergeant kind of thing. Uh, he's nuts, completely nuts. But the information he gave us, and he's got a very simple strategy, uh, we, get, you know, we took that information, but we did one key thing. We actually did something about it. Yeah. So after that, in 96, 97, we went on a nine-year acquisition spree and grew a little 700 square feet into 30 units across the UK, 252 staff and 30 million pound valuation and all that kind of stuff. So our game plan was grow it to a certain level and then sell the business to a PLC, retain the properties. So we get a lovely bump in the value of the properties with having a PLC on the hook. Yeah. And then kind of happy days off to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, the universe sometimes wants to teach you a lesson. And <laughs> <laughs> this was the time I thought I had enough lessons, but obviously the universe had a different idea. And they wanted to teach us a lesson. Um, and it said, slow down, Dad. So what they did, um, as we're selling to a PLC, went to the market, uh, into legals with a PLC, nine months later, completion day. Yeah? So everything, nine months of work, 
to get a completion date where we're selling this business, the PLC, for a few quid as well. And we keep the properties and we've got like £800,000 of rent coming in for out of the next 20 years. Happy days kind of thing. Off to the beach for a little while. Um, on the completion day, the bank reneged on the whole deal um, and then forced us over the next year and a half to sell the assets at pence on the pound, um, which obviously, you know, was a bit stressful. I, I spent nine years building this up, had the rug uh, completely removed from below my feet and almost like had to start again, which wow. I'm sure anyone that's listening, you know, everyone's gone through a challenging experience. It's stressful. It's challenging. When you come home at night, you don't leave your work <laughs> in the office. It, it just it kind of permeates your whole being. Um, so, let me just let me just dive a little bit deeper on that because not not to the same scale, but in two well, it's all relative to, to where you are. But in in two thousand and sixteen, uh, a national construction company went under and actually owed us a, a significant amount of money. And it it came down to the wire whether or not we we were going to be able to to keep trading. And I know during that period, the stress that he puts on the entire family is yeah. just, unless you've been through it, it's very difficult to explain when you're getting to bed at two o'clock and getting up at six o'clock and there's heart palpitations and emails continually with your contractual obligations and you've got to you know, repay this money and repay this debt. And it, it's um, character building. It certainly is. Character building is one way to describe it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going through the desert and you have to make a decision. I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm going to get back up every day and just keep on keeping on kind of thing. Or you go into the fear mode. Mm -hmm. But you really got to look into that fear. And the fear of not doing it should be greater than the fear of doing it. And every day you don't know what the challenge is going to be because you're facing this Goliath, you know, the bank, um, and you're effectively fighting the bank while you're working with the bank. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the biggest dichotomy I've ever been in my life. Um, but it was almost, it was categorically the, business, the, the biggest business gift I've ever had because going through that, I then realized, okay, this is what happens. I built this acquisition uh, group now to 30 million, had it taken off me, I wasn't in control. How can I get in control? How can I add so much value to things that were so lowly geared so we're never faced this situation again? And I created uh, a few unique kind of strategies that I call urban alchemy. Um, that's just really a way to add value, structured deals to add significant value not so that you can re-gear, so you're de-geared, so you're safe, you're hedged, you've got secure income going forward. And um, and that's kind of what I do, and I love it, absolutely love it, you know? So even though it's a big, stressful situation for three years, um, you can look at things and take the perils out of them, or you can look at them and it can devastate you. And the key thing, it's our choice, which is nuts. It's our choice. I fully agree with with you, and you you've genuinely channeled your your pain into power and taken the learnings, and and that's something that that um you've got huge admiration for, and something that we advocate ourselves. But just from a mindset point of view, Dan, how did you do that? Were you into personal development and things like that at that point? Because it's it's okay saying this with the benefit of hindsight, but at the time you're in a bit of a deep, dark hole. And, and there'll be a lot of people listening to this at the moment that that perhaps have been decimated by the, the pandemic and feeling mm -hmm. like things are a little bit futile. But both you and I are examples that if, if you do 
choose to see it. It doesn't seem like that at the time, guys. If you said this to me in 2016, I'd have punched you in the face. But it, it's a real opportunity to grow, evolve, and and to become a far better version. And, and, and also, you, you talked about the learnings, which I'd like to, to go into after we, we could talk about the mindset element of it. Because off the back of that, you've completely restructured your entire business. And, and arguably, you wouldn't be where you are today had that not happened. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, what we do now is only as a result of me being paranoid of leverage. So we use leverage of strategy as opposed to leverage of debt now. Yeah. So every property that we look at, I mean, some of the properties we've been involved in, um, you know, doubling quite normal, doubling of value, tripling of value. The the last one we did was a 10x in value, which is pretty nuts and not normal. I would say caveat that is not a normal kind of deal, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was a 10x in value that the day we bought it, it was valued at 510,000 cost is 50,000. So that's, you know, that's only because that experience allowed me to either face Armageddon or uh, just like diamonds are made. Diamonds are made out of friction and you can, it's your, it's your path to choose. And I chose the path that I'm naturally, I go towards anyway, which obviously just get back up, take the next step, get back up, take the next step. Um, and as long as you keep getting back up and take a step, you know, the next, you don't know where the step's going to be. It's like when you're jumping, you're not worried about, going through the air, you're just worried about where you're landing. You know, you're focusing on the landing pad, uh, not the jump in itself. And, you know, for me, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be asking myself different questions. I'd be in the same uh, mental state of leverage buyouts, leverage buyouts, acquisitions, uh, 60, 65% gearing, that kind of thing, where now I think, how can I double and triple a property to get 33% gear? Or how can I add even more value to potentially get the commercial for free? What I mean by free is without any debt whatsoever. You know, that's my kind of goal. And when you look at deals like that, which from a traditional standpoint, okay, let's put some money in, uh, 20%, 25%, get 75% leverage. And then how we add a little bit of value so we can get that 20% back out kind of thing, where I can look at deals um, and I wouldn't be interested in them because if I can't double the value, if I can't, but really my goal is every deal has got to be left with less than 50%. It's, it's a 49 or less club. So I'm, every deal has got to be 49% geared, absolute maximum. And even if they're anywhere near that, I'll probably sell them anyway because that's too scary, <laughs> which is pretty nuts and contrary. But yeah. it is what it is, you know? Now, just responding, I'm having a look at some of the comments that are coming through here. Matthew Siren, he's just mentioned that he lost everything a, a few years ago when Clugston went bust. Um, found himself in a situation where he lost the family home because he put that up for investment. How would you kind of deal with that situation? I think responding to that particular point, Matthew, um, I, you know, I, I was in actually a situation where my parents went bankrupt when I was growing up. They had a couple of retail businesses. They, they over-leveraged and, and sadly the, the business collapsed and we lost our family home. We, we, we've been in a situation where we've had bailiffs repossession, uh, repossessing our, our stuff. So I, uh, I, I would um, get... Yeah, I fully resonate with what you're saying, but I think sometimes when when you start learning the fundamentals of business and you, you know you really work on the, the mindset element as well, I'm a great believer now, and not, not that I'm I'm wishing this to happen, but you could strip me of all my assets and all our material wealth at the moment, but you can't really strip what's in here as well. And I think that point you made, Dan, about just 
constantly getting up and taking that step, no matter how futile the situation may seem at the time. There's a lot of power on that because the, the compound effect of taking those baby steps can, can ultimately, you know, eventually get you get you out of quite a dark and depressing situation. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to get to that mindset where you're you're getting back up and you're taking the next step, you either got to have a lot of natural grit or you replace what you're already allowed to happen within your ears with something new. You replace the software. We are the hardware and we all have software and you have to replace the software that you're allowing to permeate your being, i.e. between your ears, the little, the little voice. What's the voice saying? How can I train the little voice to be my best friend? my knight in shining armor. And that's what you really got to think about. And how do you do that? Now, you asked about personal development for, and I've always been a massive fan of that because the best, in, well, Warren Buffett, I mean, what a dude. He says the best investment you can make is in yourself. You know, from a, an early age, um, as soon as I come out of school, I had a personal development book. I was like, okay, so how do we do all this? How do we get the house, the car, the, the whatever, the this, that, and the other material things? And um, I started diving into that, you know, done the firework with Tony Robbins any program that's out there I'm kind of like on it why is that a waste of money um for me I love deals and learning they're my oxygen and without deals and learning uh, there'd be no me there'd be no reason to be kind of thing yes family of course my wife incredible uh she helped me through the whole thing without hair lord knows but deals and learning are my oxygen and I need two of them to be a kind of, you know, fulfilled kind of thing. And and through that period, you know, we were traveling the globe to make a better version of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, Dan Pena, Jay Abraham, the, the whole, you know, everybody, any, anyone and everyone, even somebody just now, you know, it doesn't stop. It never stops. Because why would you ever want to stop sharpening your sword? And just now we're talking to someone else about joining a program. You know, so for me, it's I'm looking for nuances now because obviously you build your foundation. Yeah. And then you're you're completely layering all the time with new thoughts, ideas. And usually the thoughts and ideas when you get to a certain level is about less. It's about cutting away. It's about doing less and having less and, you know, and having less effort to get a much better result is about taking a big leap instead of a step. Yeah. So at the beginning, you're busy, busy, busy. You're learning stuff. You're doing the stuff. And then after that, it's all about stopping, you know, replacing that software with the next bit of software. And then it's about less cutting away and actually doing less to gain more, which sounds a bit nuts but it's just how it works (laughs) but but that's where the magic is and you know I I know that you're heavily into your personal development but did you do any industry specific um, training because I I know through conversations we've had some of the creative stuff that you're doing with commercial property it's um, you know it's just not commonly available these strategies aren't commonly available to the general public or they're, they're, they're not necessarily well known yeah. Well, what we did before, leverage buyouts were a pretty well-known, you know, kind of tool for acquiring companies or businesses kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it always came with that debt loading of 65% gearing kind of thing, um, which obviously in a downturn leaves you exposed because you get forced revaluations, then you're not in control and whatever. What we do now is uh, something completely different. And it's not a course I've been on. It's a combination of fusing uh, business buying strategies with commercial property strategies and fusing them together uh, to create something 
uh, obviously better. And mm-hmm. there's not a kind of, I've not been on anyone's course because nobody really teaches um, those two things together. There's, there's people that teach business buying, people, well, there's one or two that keep, teach commercial property, but nobody really fuses them together into something that creates, a, you know, something, an end result that's not too shabby. Um, and so, you know, yes, I've been on other property courses, but none that teach kind of what I love to do, which is com- combining the two together kind of thing. So, um, yes, I, you know, I, I will continue to go on courses because yeah. I'm looking for that nuance. I'm, I'm, I'm going into a one-day program and I'm looking for that little nuance that I don't know that I can add that will make a big difference, yeah? And so I've been on Grant Cardone's thing. And what am I looking for there? I'm looking for Grant Cardone's way of raising money through social media. He's uh, he's sitting on 2.5 billion EUM assets under management real estate, and uh, he uses I think he's raised 750 million on social media, which is completely insane. And for me, that's the way forward. Um, and the next step after that is then digitizing that. Um, you know, so I, I just love the future. I love technology, and we've created our own kind of platform. But I love technology and I love real estate, and I love people. Bringing bringing those three things together where it's a win-win situation is kind of thing that really sets me on a light. You know, I'm really excited about that. So, so talk us through the kind of deals that you work on, you know, something a little bit more creative. Um, well, one, uh, let me see, the one we just finished, you're only as ever as good as your last meal. So <laughs> the last one was, um, it was an old ugly property that I went to bidding and I missed the bid. Somebody bought it. He lived in Belize in London, and um, I managed to track him down. This is two years after he bought, and he spent about £48,000 with his professional team. I tracked him down. Uh, he was in Belize, so I'm on the phone to Belize. We cracked a deal within 20 minutes, and I paid him cash for that. 13,000 square feet, three stories, six flats at the back, and uh, have a guess how much that was. 13,000 square feet, six flats at the back. Uh, you know, bar, restaurant, hotel, letting rooms upstairs and the flats to the rear. How about a rough ballpark? Oh, I've got no idea. I, well, I, I, I pay him as like 147000 cash. Shut up. So, yeah. So, but it was useless. It wasn't an asset. It was a liability just at that point. Yeah. So yeah, then I just knew the, the patch. I knew the area, uh, but I didn't have a plan. And I would never, ever suggest anybody do this it's just i know the area like the back of my hand and i know i'll come up with a plan without a shadow of a doubt and i can afford to sit on that asset without producing any income for a long time so anyway we came up with a game plan and it was a jv with uh basically a housing association so we managed to demolish the thing rebuild 12 just beautiful trophy assets social affordable housing overlooking the ocean with two commercial units downstairs And the JV deal was that they would get the 12 affordable housings. I would get the two commercial units. Now, each commercial unit uh, cost me £25,000. And the value was so 50000 for the two commercial units. And they're they're valued on a vacant possession basis, uh, 5-10. If we get the right tenant, maybe seven fifty. And we're we're negotiating right now with the right kind of tenant in the national. Um, So that's quite good. Um, another one was uh, we bought a business in decline. It was an old 10-pin bowling alley. Yeah. So it was trading business, like big bowling machines, bar, restaurant, all this kind of stuff. And um, 
And we um, managed to have prelets agreed. Now, that didn't happen overnight, but we managed to get prelets agreed with um, a kind of national high street brands, JD Weatherspoons, Co-op uh, Food, Costa Coffee, um, a national arcade chain, and a government quango. So we kind of put, we turned it from a trading uh, business in decline, a bowling alley, into a blue chip investment parade of shops, but not just any shops. We never put it on the market to, to rent with an agent. I did it myself because I only wanted very specific tenants I thought could stand the test of time. Okay. And that's put me in good stead because obviously, you know, during this pandemic, um, those people with the wrong kind of tenants, I've obviously a lot of them have come unstuck. But our tenants are strong as Mule's Breath because I had, it's that what Tony Robbins says, the power of anticipation. You know, look forward in 10 years' time. Are these guys still going to be in growth or is technology going to be taking them out of the game? Co-op food, not a chance. J.D. Weatherspoon, most least expensive restaurant chain in the market, not a chance. Costa Coffee, well, you know, everybody wants Costa Coffee. I've got a, you know, right now. So picking your tenants, that power of anticipation, what's coming down the road, you know, you know visualize yourself, imagine you what the future is going to be in 10 years' time and then look back and connect the dots, and that's half the battle, you know? So, so no, what you said there is really powerful. I just want to elaborate on it a little bit because there'll be people listening to this, yeah, that makes absolute sense, but how do how do people who perhaps don't have the experience start tracking the trends or know how to identify future trends to, to make those sort of decisions? Yeah, well, um, what's essential in necessity? Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, you know, Think about the cockroach situation. The, you know, the, the shit's hit the fan just like it has done mm-hmm. uh, for the last year or so. Um, what do we still need to spend money on? Mm-hmm. Essential daily spend. Necessities. What are necessities? Food, water, shelter, and... Wine. Absolutely 100% fundamentally. <laughs> and, <laughs> and getting your hair done. And getting your nails done. Uh, you know, they're local businesses, and I love local businesses as well as national businesses, but I don't like fashion local businesses. I don't like fashion national businesses. Why? Because they're all going online, and they have been doing it for the last 15 years, and that's just going to accept, you know, exacerbate and accelerate going forward. Um, so that was one kind of deal we did where I, I targeted rifle range each tenant and then brought them in for negotiations, and we turned a distressed, ailing business into uh, quite a you know, a lovely blue chip investment and the kind of values on that. We paid one and a quarter and we just had a valuation yesterday of 4.9, which is, I don't know, not too, not too shabby. That's good. Um, But you know, that the valuations is not irrelevant for me. It's great. Great, you know, bumper sticker, but it's almost irrelevant. What's, what's really, really important to me is that spread, you know, that equity spread. Mm. Therefore, I have the ability to give the birdie to the the banks should anything ever happen again in the future. Yeah. But the more important to that is the income stream. That kicks off £220,000 a year of guaranteed bulletproof income. That just one deal like that is enough. I don't know. I'm sure that's enough for most people to call it a day after that kind of thing. So that's kind of one deal. And a deal we're doing right now, actually, is... um, is probably the biggest opportunity in the market right now. Uh, for, for me, anyway, I just see this as a, just a huge area of growth and opportunity to be able to create commercial investments where you've got very, very low gearing. 
And it's the, the deal looks like this. It's a shops and uppers. Everybody knows what shops and uppers is. Shop on the ground floor, uppers, you know, one, two, three floors above it. This one's got offices upstairs and it's got two shops downstairs. Um, so it, another, you know, I, I follow my, my kind of urban alchemy model, which is the ABCs of commercial ABCs of cash flow. You know, assets build cash flow, uh, add value, buy value, and cash flow day one. So it kind of fits all that, ticks all those boxes. Cash flow day one, two tenants on the downstairs, kicking off four four hundred ten a year, and then it's got vacant space upstairs, offices. So that sounds like it's kind of contradicting my plan, but it's not because we're turning them into twenty five apartments. Uh, you know, by virtue of the fact of Boris's Build, Build, Build program, which is the biggest, I'll say this slowly, this is the biggest relaxation, deregulation in the planning system that's ever been since World War II, which is creating a massive opportunity. The pandemic, COVID-19, has been the black swan that's triggered everybody on the upstairs to get out so that you can actually convert these spaces upstairs into residential in only high value areas. So if you've got the cash flow day one downstairs, you've got high value residential upstairs, the pandemic has made everybody leave upstairs, then you've got awesome properties from distressed owners with a massive value add that's accelerated in time because of Boris's bill, bill, bill. It is the biggest, it's a tsunami of opportunity coming together right now to, to do this kind of thing it's and and why because imagine having the commercial downstairs you you build the flats upstairs and this one's going to be 25 flats upstairs you've got multiple exits you can refinance the whole thing you can sell off the 25 flats to get the commercial hopefully for free you know and on that model what does it look like you sell off the 25 flats here we've got five million of commercial one million of debt well under my 49 club yeah so and kicking off not bad cash flow as well along the way. But our real goal plan there is to create this as our first pilot project uh, to allow our club members to participate in this and create it into the first digitized hybrid commercial property, residential property scheme for our club members to hold for the very, very long term. And that's what it really kind of lights me up. That's really exciting because they're getting this big opportunity, allowing other people to get involved because this is a, there's a lot of work in these things. There's a lot of moving parts. You've got to know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can trip up very easily. Yeah. Well, the, the, this is the thing. And, you know, that that saying and the expression you've just used, a tsunami of opportunity, I couldn't relate to that more. But but you, you, you've went into, you just mentioned there about your club. Can you talk the listeners through your club? Because your business model is very similar to ours in the sense that you very much um, leverage and utilize other people's um, capital. There's always opportunity for people to to collaborate with you who who perhaps, like you mentioned there, the intricacies and, and we know some of the, the pitfalls as you've experienced, I've experienced firsthand when, you know, per, perhaps you've not made the, the most sensible um, sensible choices or, or circumstances change and banks renege and, and all that kind of good stuff. So there'll be people out there that are going Dan, that looks great. You're working, you know, you've worked very hard to get to where you've got. You've got 30 years of experience, but I don't want that. I've got my my own business. I'm very happy what I do. Perhaps I've got a job, a, a well-paying job, but they want an opportunity yeah. to potentially invest. Um, how, how would people do that? How does the club work? Yeah, well, if you think uh, at a high level, you know, if you're the rule of 72, you know, so the rule of 72 says um, basically if you can try and achieve a 10% return, number one, and stay in the market, number two. Yep. 
in 7.2 years, your money, your capital will double. So really the, the, the basis of this is how do we help business owners, professionals, or SaaS pension trustees with no time grow their capital? Why? So that number one, you know, if you if we remove the shackles of the mundanity of money from their life by creating multiple passive income streams for them, perhaps we're helping them go and do, you know, go and do their thing, create their dent in the universe, whatever that may be for them. It might be a purpose. It might just be going on the beach. It might just be playing golf. Who knows? But whatever it is, if we can remove that mundanity of money by creating multiple passive income streams, now it's not open for everyone either. This is just for high net worth of sophisticated investors or SAS pension trustees, because um, yeah, it's kind of private members club. Um, but if we can do that, we release them from that stress, facilitate them going to do their thing. And that, what, that their thing might be something incredible. So in its essence, we're helping them release themselves to go and you know find out why they're really here. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. So do you have like a, a cap? Is it quite an intimate sort of club? How does, how is the club structured? Because we have like an investment program. Is it just a different word for an investment program or is it something a little bit different? Well, it's a kind of uh, earn and learn program where they come in and every quarter we're going to be bringing a deal to the table, like the one I've just described. And you know, we're, we're here to help them, yes, create multiple passive income streams, but create, you know, we're, we're going to be offering to the right people, three buckets, a short-term bucket, a medium-term bucket, and a long-term bucket. A short-term bucket is an acquisition fund um, to buy things very, very cheaply for cash. Then we, we, our development bucket is when we actually do the development for probably a year and a half. A long-term bucket is a digitization of real estate where we're going to hold together for the very long term at, until the property doubles in value just by compounding growth. Rent's going up, therefore value's going up, yeah? So that's kind of what we do. In terms of a cap, um, I, I take it you're referring to an, you know, an amount of money or something. Um, yeah, kind of- or, or, or the amount of people that you, you know, is it quite bespoke? Do you only have a certain amount of people at any one time within your club membership? Yeah, um, no, we're, we're kind of, um, we're just, we're close to launching again. Um, the club and uh, you know because we have this deal and we've been busy building our pipeline so for the next four quarters we have a deal of the similar size and nature Uh, like for example the next deal in September is is under ownership right now it's got planning permission and it's going to be 53 apartments with 20,000 square foot of commercial on the downstairs Um, the one in December the raise in December is going to be um, it's a property under ownership. It's completely unencumbered. I own it, and it's going to be seventy brand new build student studios right next in Paisley, which you'll know, and it's right next door to the university and the students' union. So it could be in a better location. The one in uh, Q, the end of Q one is well. We hopefully find out about that tomorrow. <laughs> but it's uh, the same kind of thing, you know. It's um, it's kind of helping business owner professionals get involved in bigger deals that they would never get a chance to get involved in. And along the way, over the term of the deal, which could be 18 months, get involved in the monthly masterminds as well, where we go deeper dive. Okay, here's a 30-day sprint. Here's what the game plan was. Here's where the tires came off. Here's where how we reacted to that and fixed that. Yeah, and turned that kind of challenge into a win-win kind of situation. And so it's all about that every month. And what we also do as well is weekly live calls because some business owners, professionals, you know, they, they, want to, they want to get involved in these projects, but at some point they also want to have their own asset. 
Mm-hmm. So some of them ping deals in. We've got a DD template sheet where they fill out. Where they ping the deal in, and we go live on a Wednesday at 12 o'clock, and we bring the deal up. We've got our architect there, head time planner there, I'm there, and a head, you know, our, our head of uh, live deal analysis with the spreadsheets. And we analyze the whole deal, do the numbers film, the whole nine yards. Um, why? Because we want to reduce the amount of mistakes people make and reduce the time to get the results. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that that'll stop a lot of people with the bigger developments as well, not having that level of protection of someone more experienced doing that higher level of due diligence. It's really mitigating the risk. But but presumably, uh, and I know that, you know, we're operating in the residential space and obviously you, you're in the commercial space, but I'm guessing you're not you're not finding these opportunities on right move. You know, you've got access to stock that is not readily available to the open market. Funnily, funnily you say that. I mean, you're right. And you're, uh, 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 what, deals come from a, num- a number of different uh, situations. Like one of my favorite strategies is direct mail. You know, back from, remember the direct mail, the lumpy mail I told you about at the beginning? Yeah. Um, that, that stuck with me forever. So we still do direct mail right now. Do you and do Kit Kats though? No, no, not Kit Kats because we're, remember, you've got to market your message to market. You know, message to market. Who's the, who are you speaking to? And in that kind of direct mail piece, it's very targeted at um, baby boomers that own commercial property portfolios. You know, so they own eight, nine, ten units, and we're trying to buy wholesale, cut, slicing and dice them, do some asset management, sell them off retail. That's a short term bucket. Yeah, probably six to twelve months work. Um, so I love direct mail. What you're talking about is obviously relationships. That is the creme de la creme of deal sourcing. Uh, and yes, some of these things you're invited into tender um, at 100%. There was a, a retail park at, um, on the way to Cumbernauld. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was just a ridiculous deal. Uh, it was seven million pounds. Uh, B&Q were one of the tenants paying 700,000 pound a year. You know, so if you're sitting on seven million that day, it went in three days. You know, it's just nuts. So, but other deals. I mean, let me tell you about one other transaction: the the seventy brand new purpose built student accommodations, the student studios. Um, that was on the open market for over two years. The thing is, it wasn't on a property uh, website; it was on a business selling website because it was a trading business. And this is a big opportunity that a lot of people miss. Where I obviously scare business selling websites as well, and. Um, this was on there. It's been there for two years. Um, the, the chat wanted offered offers over 340K. We ended up cracking a deal at 120. How do we do that? It's not a two-minute explanation. How you do that is a combination of business buying strategies and commercial property. There's a lease option and a bimbo. You know, what's a bimbo? It's a B-I-M-B-O, buy-in, management, buy-out, plus a lease option at the front. So, um, you know, that, but that, the key thing was that was on the open market for over two years, just sitting wow. there, hidden in plain sight. <laughs> you know, nuts. So it's really looking at things with a different set of glasses and yeah. having that experience to see what could be that, that power of anticipation. You know, what should be there? Alternative use. What, where's it? And alternative use is always driven by demand. Where's the demand in that location? Who's after that? Who could be after that? You know, what can we turn it into? Yeah. Fantastic. I absolutely love that, Dan. Um, and also for anyone on here that, that's listening to this who wants to connect with you, other than sending a direct message, is there, are you still um, active on Clubhouse? Are you still sharing sh- sharing some value on there, doing any rooms, or is there any other ways that people can connect with you? 
Yeah, sure. If you, um, I suppose the best way, we're, we're on Clubhouse now and again, but I, I suppose the best way is really go to tailorcapital.co.uk and then just kind of uh, log in or, or, or sign up on the website and then you get notification because what we do, we're just a, in the very near future, we're just about to, uh, you know, start live broadcast. In fact, there's one next Thursday. There's one next Thursday about our, our kind of new launch, what's coming um, at six o'clock Thursday night. So if you go to tailorcapital.co.uk, you'll get an email, you get an invite to that live broadcast. I love that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've always got so much knowledge to share. I think it's a great opportunity for anyone looking to venture into the commercial space. And, you know, I can, I can speak from, from first-hand experiences, you know, that Dan's an absolute stand-up guy. Um, so, yeah, reach out, guys, if, you, if you've got any questions. I'm sure Dan will be able to help you. Um, yes. And, yeah, I, I look forward to, to perhaps doing one of these in another six months and reviewing how the launch has gone and, and see, seeing what, what new successes you've got to share, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. I'd uh, absolutely, absolutely love to do that. And what I'd also love to do, Ellie, while we're, this is in a public domain, is uh, invite you onto our podcast as well, The Art of Acquisitions, because you've done a few acquisitions. Um, oh. I'd love to get you on there. Oh, I'd be absolutely delighted. Yeah, I can't say no, really. You've just asked me live. But um, no, no, it'd be an absolute privilege, Dan. It's always a pleasure collaborating. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks very much. Thanks Cheers, Ellie. Bye. Bye.